0: to uh, welcome back Bob, who uh, has uh, been with us a couple of times before. Bob, would you come up? It's lovely to have you here. Would you welcome Bob Mendelson tonight, folks? Thank you. Great to have you here, Bob. Uh, Bob's up here from Sydney for, uh, for a few days up in Queensland, and he sort of gets up here every now and again, and uh, up to the good sunshine state. Take my
1: blue shirt off and put on maroon.
0: That's the one. Yep, exactly. All right. Bob, we're looking forward to what you have to say to us tonight, Thank and you. it's great to have you fellowshipping with us again. It's a joy okay. for me.
1: Thanks, mate. Yeah, good on you. All the best. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Beautiful prayer. I'd never heard that song before. It's it's good. It's good for the preacher to be singing that song, too. That's kind of good. Would you turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, please? If you only brought a newer testament to hear a Jew, what were you not thinking? Jonah! If you are like me, you're using your smartphone, which is, it doesn't mean you're smart, but it is. So it helps me find these things very quickly. Jonah chapter one, and we're going to read through the whole book. It's only, it's shorter than one chapter in the book of John, uh, but it's going to be meat, I think, for a lot of you tonight. And before we go into it, let me ask if you have, not that you have a vote, but if you had a vote, Would you vote to keep Jonah in the Bible? If you know the story and who he is or who he isn't, would you vote? Let me just see. You you like, well, you're just Bible thumpers. Let me see if I can change you, if I can get to that. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. There's your hero. You know, most of the time you read in the Bible, a prophet hears the word of God and he goes and does it. (laughs) Jonah hears the word of God and says, nope, going the other way. And just geographically, let me show you where he is. He's there somewhere near Joppa. That's modern-day Tel Aviv. Tarshish due west. Mediterranean, probably Spain. Nineveh, northeast, the capital of Assyria, the dreaded bad guys in the Jewish conflict at the time. Nineveh, bad guys, Tarshish, safe haven, Jonah, somewhere here nearby. God tells him to go east, he goes due west. Here's how he does it. He rose to flee to Tarshish, went down to Joppa. That's been subsumed by modern-day Tel Aviv found a ship going to tarshish paid the fare went down into it to go with them to tarshish away from god's presence hmm. but the lord this is when god butts in he does this throughout this whole story i love it when he does that the lord sent out a great wind into the sea and there's a mighty tempest really god's causing all this disturbance yep that's what happens so the ship was like to likely to be broken up and the mariners were afraid can you imagine sydney to hobart And these guys on Wild Oats 11 and any other ships are out there. You know, it was just a few months ago, in. I live in Sydney, and they had, they closed the harbor. They wouldn't let these big ships in because it was too rough. I don't know that the mariners were afraid, but in our Bible story tonight, even the seamen were afraid. Wow, that must be something. And they cried out every man to his God and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah, your hero, was down in the side of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. He's not even helping. Save the day. What a useless guy. So the shipmaster came. What are you doing, sleeper? Get up. Maybe uh, call on your God, which in my version has a capital G and the one you're seeing behind me it is a small g and that's more appropriate because these are polytheists you know these guys will but you got a God call on Neptune call on anybody have you ever gone on a hospital visit and somebody next to you know you're visiting a parishioner or something and you say uh, anybody else need prayer and somebody says I'm Catholic or I'm Jewish or I'm just come and pray something over me with whatever God you want to because if you're hurting You'll take anybody's prayers, I get that. And maybe that's what these mariners were doing. <clears throat> maybe God will uh, save us and we won't perish. So they said, well, let's figure out whose cause this is, because they understood that when there's turbulence in the water that somebody's done something wrong. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't study meteorology. So they said, come on, let's cast lots, though we may know for whose cause this evil is on us. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. This is like the Magi who followed a star to find Yeshua. So they said to him, now verse 8, you need to read this like a news conference in Canberra with about 13 microphones, Channel 7, Channel ABC, SBS there. what? Listen to how they say it. For whose cause is this evil on us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What's your country? See, everybody's yelling at once. Read bubbles in a cartoon. It's not one person. Excuse me, what is your occupation? It's not that at all. And what people are you from? He said, okay, okay. I'm a Hebrew and I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea, (laughs) please God, dry land. So they now the men are exceedingly afraid. The mariners who are never afraid, not only were afraid, now they're doubly afraid. Why are they doubly afraid? Because they now know there's a spiritual cause to this situation. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he told them, Wow, this disobedient prophet of yours, what's he going to do? They said to him, What should we do to you? so that everything calms down, because they knew he was the cause. He said, toss me into the sea. They said, no, that can't work. So they rowed, rowed, and they're they're in the Mediterranean Sea, for goodness sakes. They're not going to be able to row their boat back. So they tried, they tried, but it wasn't working. So verse 14, they're actually going to pray to the living God. They cried out to the Lord and said, we beseech you, O Yahweh, we beseech you. Let us not perish for this man's life. Hey, this guy's the cause. Don't blame us. (laughs) They're so Jewish. Uh, Lay not upon us innocent blood, because you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they took up Jonah and tossed him into the sea. End of story. Could be the end of story. The sea ceased from her raging, just like that. Well done. Jonah, overboard, sea, calm. Great disobedient prophet successful with a group of mariners you see how he's successful look at verse 16 the men feared the lord exceedingly so they had fear then they had exceeding fear now they particularize it into the living god in our term they got saved that's really what's happening look how they show it they offered a sacrifice to the lord and made vows they didn't say jesus you are my messiah i get that but they got into what's called Old Testament salvation. I mean, there they are. They're born again in our term later on. Jonah, disobedient prophet, in the water, dead meat, really, think about it. He's in the Mediterranean Sea. He's as good as dead, right? But God looks down with favor on him and prepares a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and he eats him. <laughs> Jonah... Jonah's in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Now, I'm not a very smart man, but I think before 72 hours is up, I would start praying. I'm just thinking, maybe on the first day you, you want to start saying prayers. Maybe the second day. Now, I don't know, did he have an apple? How did he know what time it was? 72 hours. But somehow, three days, three nights, he's in the belly of the whale. Glug. Glug. I mean, he's inside this washing machine. Think about it. This, the belly of a whale is where yesterday's lunch and seaweed, everything's in there. And he's spinning in the spin cycle. And he prays to the Lord. Hmm. That's probably a desperate prayer. You know, there are all kinds of prayers. I grew up as an Orthodox Jew in Kansas City, right in the middle of the United States. Came to faith in Yeshua. 40 years ago, my testimony's up the back. And, <laughs> I went to synagogue yesterday on Margaret Street in the city. I love going to synagogue. I love praying the prayers. The prayers are written, the same prayers here as are prayed in Sydney, as are prayed in Kansas City and New York and Israel. They're the same prayers. And the same Bible is read, and the same Bible readings are read every week. I mean, in every synagogue worldwide i like order i like patterns i like that i can handle it and sometimes i pray those prayers and i wonder bounce 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 did it did it go beyond bounce the ceiling but i'll tell you there's a prayer that always does get heard and that's the desperate prayer of a person have you taught your teenage daughter how to drive um that'll help your prayer life <laughs> I was at a neighborhood pop-up carnival in, outside Chicago some years ago. And I was with a junior of Jews for a younger fella with Jews for Jesus. And I said, I decided to have a go at him. So we, we go to this, this place, it's got those teacups that spin, you know, and then go up a little and down. There's a little nothing pop-up carnival. <laughs> I decide to spin it really, really fast. And he says, oh, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you forever. I think it's a teacup. For but anyway, that was his desperate prayer. I, I get that. I've got a book up the back called Unbroken. I don't know if you saw the movie by Angelina Jolie a couple of years ago. Pretty remarkable story of Louis Zamperini, an Italian-American who was a pretty bad boy around 1920, became an Olympic runner in 1936, and then joined the U.S. military and joined in World War II. He was on a sortie to go find yesterday's lost aircraft when his aircraft went down and two other buddies and he were floating on a raft for weeks in the Pacific Ocean. And he prayed a desperate prayer like my teacup friend. Basically, if you save me, I'll serve you forever, which God held him to decades later. But the story of Unbroken is Zamperini going and being caught by the Japanese and became a prisoner of war, and they couldn't break him. It's a marvelous story, great read. And Laura Hillenbrand, who wrote it, who wrote Seabiscuit too, um, makes it very clear that he gets saved at a Billy Graham crusade and lives the rest of his life for the Lord. It's a pretty remarkable story, great great read. Hmm. Desperate prayers get heard by the one who's always listening. Look at Jonah's prayers. Uh, Verse number two, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep. See, he doesn't blame the mariners for sending him into the water. He says, you sent me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed about me. All your billows and waves passed over me. That obviously informed the hymn writer. And I said, I'm cast out of your sight, Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. And my somewhat smartphone isn't so smart just now. Hmm. I know they have these things called paper Bibles. They're pretty good. No, I got it. I got it. Thank you, though. I want you to have your own Bible. I'll look toward your holy temple. Waters encompass me. Verse 5, seaweeds are wrapped around my head. I mean, he's he's there with yesterday's lunch. I get that. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. I mean, he says, basically, I was dead meat. I had no hope. But God, save me. At least I hope you'll save me. At least somewhat, maybe you'll remember me. At least somehow. He's praying somewhat of a confession of faith that God's going to raise him up. My soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord. My prayer came to you, verse 7, into your holy temple. Look what he says about the mariners in verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. <laughs> Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. <laughs> Those boys... They don't even know what's going on, he says. Jonah doesn't know that he's been successful in leading them to Messiah. Isn't that remarkable? Leading them to the Almighty. They don't even know anything. But I, verse 9, will sacrifice to you. Listen to the boast. I'll pay what I owe, right? I'll pay what I vowed. Salvation, please. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. It's a desperate prayer. I get it. And God will always hear those so what does he do in verse 10? He speaks to the fish and it vomits Jonah on dry land. <laughs> vomit. Uh, it's funny to use that word in a church sermon, isn't it? You know, Friday night youth. Who leads youth? Just use the word vomit once in a while and they'll love you. All right. Um, I've been to Cape Town and you see in Hermanus there in False Bay, you see the the... The whales come pretty close to shore. But still, what a, what a upchuck this would be to get a man from wherever that is on the water over onto dry land. That is something I want to see. No, I don't. Um, on videotape one day, but there, there it is. This is a word of deliverance, and Jonah got in on it. So you'd think now Jonah is going to hear God's word the second time, as it says in chapter three. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, and he's going to go do it, and he's going to. We're going to live happily ever after. It's going to be a great story. So sure enough, that's what happens. Verse 2, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Preach to it the message that I bid you. So Jonah arose, went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Good boy. Maybe that's why you like him. Nineveh is an exceedingly great city. Three days journey. Just think from here down to the story bridge. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey and started crying out and saying, In 40 days Nineveh will be overthrown. Yes! I can hear him say, Yes! Why? Because in six weeks, the bad guys are going to get theirs. See, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria. Assyria is the military occupiers of some of the land of Israel. They're the dreaded enemies of the Jewish people. They are the ba- they wear the black skull caps. They're the bad guys in the story. We're the good guys, obviously, and they're the bad guys. You want me to go to them? Listen, in 40 days, <laughs> they're going to get theirs. Yes. This is great. Jonah's happy about that. Look what happens though in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least. Word came to the king, read, mayor of Nineveh. He arose from his throne, laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Oh no. The prophet is preaching. He was disobedient in the first chapter. The disobedient prophet became a desperate prayer. Now he's going to be a dutiful preacher. I'm going to show you this in a minute. Because look what the mayor says. He caused it to be proclaimed, verse 7, and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king. This is like a global e-blast. And his nobles saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. How do you get a cow not to eat or drink? I don't know. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Cry mightily to God. Yes, let them turn everyone from his evil way and from the violence in their hands. Who can tell? Maybe God will turn and repent or relent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not. This story is read every year on the Jewish Day of Atonement in the afternoon service because that's the day when we pray and beg God for atonement and for forgiveness. So if God can listen to those Ninevites, maybe he'll listen to us. So we pray this prayer. We read this collection of writings just here. So what's God going to do? Verse 10, he sees their work that they turn from their evil way, and he forgives them. Sweet. Oh, by the way, the word violence, maybe he says, the king said this... Let everyone turn from the violence that's in their hands. Hebrew word for violence, Hamas. Let everyone turn from the violence that's in their hands and maybe God will repent. And God relented and didn't judge them. So we, we know that chapter two, chapter three collapsed pretty quickly. This is, uh, six weeks collapse because The the six weeks waiting that Jonah has is now done. He's not going to, God's not going to judge the Ninevites. Now, I've got a newsletter that's up the back, and many of you already received the newsletter, and the rest of you should. Um, So that's why you have, oh, you will be given a white card sometime. Where do we put those? Can I get a couple guys to, thank you. A couple others pop up and help. Thanks. Um, Their white cards are on the free side of the table. Thank you. so all the adults sorry less than eighteen year olds um, get get one of these cards and I hope that you 'll tear the card and the large card is for me after you fill it out. The small card is for you um, to keep the large card after you fill it out i 'll get the newsletter i mean i 'll get that newsletter to you i 'd love to send it on email to everybody that 's Great, now that they've moved the price for newsletters to a dollar. The post is killing me. So I want to get everybody as much as I can off of post and into email. That's all right. We still post, publish it, and we'll still send it. Now, you know, those of you who've read our newsletters over the years, you know that anytime somebody gets saved, we love to announce that. We love to have you be praying for that fellow or that lady. It's really a good thing. So I want to tell you stories of Jewish people in Israel or in Buenos Aires or in Sydney or here in Brisbane who are coming to faith in Yeshua. It's pretty remarkable, one by one by one. So I'll tell you, if I had just led the whole town of Nineveh to the Lord, I'd probably have three or four newsletters worth. You can imagine. But Jonah, chapter 4, verse 1, what does it say of him? the thing displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry what wait a minute you're supposed to you're a prophet for goodness sakes you want people to get saved you want people to know god why listen to his prayer he prayed to the lord and said lord witness what i told you while i was still with you That's why I fled from Tarshish, to to Tarshish. I know. And he reads this beautiful confession, this creedal statement of who God is. It sounds just like the Lord, Lord God, compassionate and merciful, abounding in loving kindness and truth, a standard Jewish creed from Exodus and Deuteronomy. What does he say? I knew it. I know you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abundant in mercy. In other words, God, doggone it, you lived up to who you are. How dare you do it to those people? They don't deserve it. What do we call Jonah in modern days? A racist. Those people. Them. This is religion for us, not for them. It's our religion. They hate us. They mistreat us. So his prayer is a weird prayer. But I like that it's honest. That's why I fled to Tarshish. I know you're all these things. Therefore now, I tell you what, first time in verse 3, first time out of 3, he's going to say, I'd rather be dead. I beseech you, take my life from me. It's better for me to die than to live. Wow. Because they get saved? Yep. So God says, are you doing well to be angry? You know, I love that God's getting involved. You sure? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side, made a booth, sat under it, and went Humph. You know, great. This is just what I need. So God lovingly prepares this this vegetation, this plant to grow up over him. And it comforts him all night. And it says, Jonah was, verse 6, exceedingly glad... Because of the plant. He loved having vegetation, but he didn't love that the Ninevites were all saved. He'd love the hinterland. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd or plant, and it withered, and it came to pass when the sun did rise that God prepared a vehement east wind. The sun beat on the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it's better for me to die second time than to live. God said, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He said, yeah. I'd rather be dead third time. God said, wait a minute, you had pity on a plant? on a plant for which you didn't labor, you didn't plant it, you didn't grow it, you didn't do anything, you came up in a night and perished in a night? Should I not have had pity on Nineveh, that great city, where there are 120,000 people who are intellectually challenged, who don't know their right hand from their left, and there is many cattle? That's where the book ends. All right, so you voted and you want Jonah in the Bible. God bless you. Jonah, really? The disobedient prophet who became a desperate prayer, who became then a dutiful preacher. He was just going through the motions because he really didn't want him to get saved. And now he's a despondent person at the end wishing death on himself. That's your boy. You like it? You still want that in the Bible? The answer's yes. The answer's yes. <laughs> You see, because you know it's not just a story about Jonah. And maybe you see yourself in Jonah a lot, not only the racism part, not only the why do I have to do this, I'd rather be dead part, but uh, maybe that there's something beyond Jonah in the story. Yeah, like a God who cares and does beyond human enterprise, something for his own namesake. Something about God's love for seafaring mariners who don't deserve God either. They're polytheists, and yet God draws them in. Something about God's love for horrible enemies of the Jews in Nineveh and the Assyrians, on whom he wants to cast not judgment, but cast mercy, and bring the whole town... To salvation. And God, who loves Jonah so much that he's even going to try to use him again and again and argue, no, gently reason with him. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? He creates this wind, this tempest, this storm. He's, he sends the lots so they know whose fault it is. I mean, God is doing everything he can, including the plant and the wind. And the giant whale, to get Jonah's attention. So maybe you like the story because it's not only a book about Jonah, but a book about the God of Jonah who loves people. But that's not the end of the story. Look with me at the book of Matthew chapter 16 and verse number 13. You got it just before me. And you're saying, oh, good, finally on my side of the Bible. No, 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 friends, this is still my side of the Bible. (laughs) I don't know why we let you read it. All right, verse 13. When Yeshua came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. These are all dead people. They said, Well, you were like, The people are reporting that you're like a dead guy reincarnated. He said, But who do you say that I am? And in verse 16, Peter answers and says, You're the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. And Yeshua doesn't do what I would have done if I got if you know, if somebody gets the right answer, if I ask you, you know, some biblical question and you raise your hand, say, Oh, and I give you I say, Yeah, good. Spot on, great, good answer. Something like that. Yeshua doesn't say good answer. He says this weird phrase to Peter. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you. If you know much about the Hebrew culture, you know that that's how most Jewish benedictions and prayers begin. It's not that Jesus is praying to Simon. He's praying in a service about Simon. He's actually ordaining him to gospel ministry. I know that from that weird phrase, blessed are you. And from the second phrase, Shimon bar Yonah. Yesterday at synagogue when I was called up to the Torah, they called me by my Hebrew name, Reuven ben Eliahu. That's my Hebrew name. I'm Reuven, the son of my father's name. So here he is, Shimon bar, son of Yonah, Jonah. I don't know that that was his father's name, but the mantle of ministry of Jonah was given to Peter at that moment. I know that from our next and final Bible verse, and that's from Acts chapter 10. And if you'll go there. This is a story about a guy named Cornelius. He's a Roman. He's a centurion. He has a hundred fellows under him. He's a soldier. He's a lieutenant or a general of some kind. He's a centurion, it says, of what was known as the Italian cohort. Casaria, Caesarea, is the only place in Israel where there's a golf course today. It wasn't there then, uh, but the sand was there. The sand traps still are abundant. I played that course a couple of years ago. That uh, yeah, was good. Um, so here's Cornelius and he's a pretty religious fellow though he's a Gentile he's one of <laughs> you people a devout man one who feared God with all his house who gave many alms to the people and prayed to God always and he saw in a vision something about God speaking to him and God said go and dispatch some fellows." I'm going to skip down a bit so verse 5 dispatch some men to Joppa call for Simon Peter he's there So the angel who spoke that to Cornelius left. And Cornelius said, Okay, two of my boys, I want you to go down to to, uh, Joppa and collect this guy named Simon Peter and bring him back. And he's supposed to tell us what's going on. Huh. Okay. Verse 9. The next day, as they, those two, were on their journey and drew near to the city, Peter goes up on the housetop to pray. It's about midday. And like you and like I... He got hungry. Uh, yeah, it's uh, he smells the matzo ball soup, and he becomes hungry, and it says that he goes into a trance. Verse 11, He saw heaven opened, and a certain vessel descending unto him as it had a great sheet knit at the four corners and let down to the earth. And there were all kinds of four-footed animals of it. You've got it. Don't miss this. The number four is all over the place. Four-cornered sheet, four-footed animals, and how many animals were there? Uh, wild beasts, beasts of the earth, creepy things, and fowls of the air. I count four. Okay. And there came a voice to him, and he always sounds deep and dark. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Because God usually speaks British, but I can't do it. Peter said, not so, Lord. Now, just a little bit of advice. If it's God, don't say no. Don't put no and Lord in the same sentence. Just a little bit of godly wisdom. But here it is, not so, Lord. He says, no, because I'm Jewish. and Jews don't eat this stuff. I'm not on Survivor. I've not been voted off the island. This has no meaning to me. Things that creep and crawl across my plate, I'm Jewish. We don't eat that stuff. And God says to him in this deep voice, what I've cleansed don't you call common or unclean okay so you figure peter who's walked with yeshua three or four years who's been preaching for nine chapters he'd get it right because he was kind of a spiritual leader he knew this stuff so the vision happened and he got it right verse 16 this was done three times three times he had the same conversation Okay, maybe by the third time he got it. Verse 17, While Peter doubted in himself what this vision which he'd seen might mean, or while Peter was inwardly or greatly perplexed. In other words, Peter didn't get it. That's so encouraging to me, Duncan. So many times I read the Bible, I don't get it. I mean, I'm just a, a rookie compared to walking with Yeshua like Peter did. But I... I tell you, I read stuff and say, huh, how'd that happen? How does that work? I don't get it. So I'm glad that Peter didn't get it. But doggone it, how come Peter didn't get it? It's so clear, isn't it? Doesn't it mean he's supposed to go have some bacon double cheeseburgers at Macca's later tonight? Isn't that what that means? Not even close. Has nothing to do with Peter's lunch. Has a lot to do with you people and what you eat for lunch. Really? yep so he invites the fellows in and they spend the night and then they decide to go on back up the coast you know 100 kilometers and in verse number 24 they enter into Caesarea or Caesarea Cornelius waited for them and they're gathered there and he's Peter says in verse 26 stand up I'm just a guy like you and he talked with them and found many that had come together And verse 28, he said to them, and you've got to get verse 28 down. You've got to get verse 28 down. Memorize this or you'll never celebrate St. Peter's Day. (laughs) He said to them, you know how it is unlawful for a man like me who's a Jew to keep company with or go to one of another nation, to the Gentiles. Jews don't hang out with Gentiles. Forget about it. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. The vision was not about Peter going and having shrimp on the barbie. The vision was about you guys who eat that stuff. Don't ask me to eat it. But you eat it, that you are not common or unclean, just because you do. It was about God's grace reaching to the Romans? Think about it. Cornelius there in Caesarea represents to the people of Peter's day the same thing that the mayor of Nineveh represented in Jonah's day. You see, Rome was the dreaded enemies of the Jewish people, military occupiers of some of the land of Israel, hated by most Jews, endured by all Jews of that day. Cornelius is the same bad guy as the king of Nineveh in Jonah's day. And where was it from which Jonah was sent? What city? Joppa, right? Where was it from which Simon Peter was sent? Joppa. You get it? The parallel's too clear. Now, the reason for the four corners. We have that TV show, don't we, on Monday night, 8.30. Four corners, right? Have you seen a globe? Where are the corners? There aren't any. Right? If there aren't any, why do we say four corners? Because we mean by four, we mean the lot. Jewish men don't cut their beards. Some wear goatees like I do. Some have a full hedge, you know, because we don't know exactly where it is. Some with the curls. We don't know, so we don't cut the corners of our beard. We don't cut the corners of our field to leave it for the poor. We wear fringes on the corners of our garments. Obviously, the four corners mean something beyond just a functional compliance with a biblical command. The four corners have to do with the four corners of the world. God wants us as Jews not to think only of us as Jews, but to go into all the world and take this message. In Exodus 19, he said, For all the earth is mine. If you'll be my covenant people, kingdom of priests, you'll go and take it to the four corners. That's why we do what we do with our corners. That's why the number four is so significant biblically. You trace it, you'll see it all over the place, representing every kindred, tribe, language, and tongue, something like that. It's you guys. God had you in mind, all you Gentiles. Well, there goes the neighborhood. And maybe that's why Peter, having that vision, didn't understand it, didn't understand it, finally got it and went to Cornelius and preached. And he, the son of Jonah, did with the king of his day what Jonah had failed to do in his day parallels are too striking. When I see this, I'm reminded that God has a plan for all people. I'm staying in Logan. Wow, when did that change? It's seriously different than when I was here just two years ago. I walked into a shopping center in Springwood or Underwood yesterday, and I was the I was the only non-Muslim for about 200 meters. I'm sure I'm the—I'm sure I'm not a Muslim, uh, but, uh, but I know I was the only non-one. It was fascinating to see. And so you don't have to go to Afghanistan or Iran or Turkey. Turkey's come to you. You don't have to go to Israel, though you're welcome to, to witness to Jews. Jews are all over the place here, Gold Coast and here. I'm not sure of Marumba Downs, but Brisbane. Israelis certainly travel through here. You could open your home to them. Oh, look, there's so many peoples who don't act like, smell like, eat like, dress like you. So before God has to shake things up and drop some vision of something in front of you when you're hungry, maybe you need to check again with your heart and with your God and see if see if you're a racist see if there's something going on inside you that says yeah I don't want those people in my church I don't want that kind of person here I don't want to hang out with I don't want my daughter to hang out I don't want my son to my cousins to why are they moving into this neighborhood? just hear that and hear your own racism and guard that and guard, and guard against that sorry and repent of that. God's going to use whales and lots and prophets, reluctant even prophets, to make sure his message gets out there. I hope he's going to use you and that you're not disobedient or dutiful in it. In a moment, you're going to see a, a quick video off YouTube that my intern made in uh, December He's just gone back to the U.S. He was with me for six months. You'll see him on the video. His name is Asher. I actually led his mother to Christ in the 80s in New York. So it was kind of fun to get an email from her saying, Do you have a position? (laughs) Yeah, it's been great. I want to show you this, and then I'll come back up and finish my talk.
0: Hi, my name is Mark. Hi, I'm Rachel. We work with the Sydney branch of Jews for Jesus. I spend most of my time focusing in meeting one-on-one with Jewish people to share with them from the scriptures how it is that you really can be Jewish and believe in Jesus. I teach the Bible and its relevance to our lives, this life, and... Um, the eternal life, the one to come. Some people say, oh, I'm, you know, when you're telling them about Jesus, they say, oh, that, that's okay, I'm Jewish. So we can say the same thing. I'm, we're Jewish too, and we found that actually the prophecies of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, actually are fulfilled in Yeshua. Hi, my name is James Emanuel White, and I'm a barista at Jews for Jesus. And what we do here is with cards, gifts, Judaica, everything, jewelry. Oh, have a look around. It's amazing. What do I love about the place? I get to speak to different people all the time about what Jews for Jesus stands for. To make Yeshua, which is his Hebrew name, an unavoidable issue to every Jew that I know. My name is Patty Mendelson. I work in the shop here in Jews for Jesus, doing administrative work. I work behind the scenes, filling orders, keeping track of finances. I love seeing how God blesses the shop, seeing people come in and be encouraged. Pray to see Jewish people learn more about Jesus. Hi, my name is Asher Karika and I'm an intern for Jews for Jesus Australia. This internship has provided me an opportunity to not only exercise but also grow in my skills in video production and social media. But more importantly, I've also been able to grow in my understanding of Yeshua and how to share what He's done in my life. Hi, my name's Craig Myers and I work here at the Jews for Jesus shop. I'm the church relations Uh, person so i talk to pastors and churches and i actually book our jewish bible teachers to go and teach in their churches my favorite part about the shop is actually when a an unbelieving jewish person comes in and actually wants to know more about us and ask some questions i'm bob mendelson as the director i get a chance to make sure that all of the staff and all of the operations are on the same page, that we're making sure that we're making the Messiah Jesus well-known among the Jewish people here in Sydney and all around the country. We conduct our deputation ministry in churches and in Bible colleges as we share with students, and Christians in churches all about who Jewish people are so that they'll have more sensitivity and relationship with Jewish people to bring them the gospel. We conduct our own worship services and evangelistic holiday events like this one in Rosh Hashanah or in Hanukkah, Passover, anytime we can. What can I say? If you'll be praying for us, God will anoint us and keep us and strengthen us so that we can keep on doing the work and he will draw people to himself. Shalom. That's
1: off the internet. That's kind of cool. Well done, Rob. The uh, white card you received, I hope you filled that out by now with your name and at least email. Um, and then we can send you the newsletter. Up the back are some books and CDs, all kinds of good things. They swarmed me this morning, so some of the stock is missing, but we've got plenty for you tonight. And on Tuesday, I'm going to be in Cleveland, and Wednesday, down in Tweedheads. and then Friday, make my way over to Perth and speak there on that next weekend. And the weekend after that, I'm in Melbourne. This is a crazy week, month. Thank you, Craig, for sending me across the country so that I can be part of so many different churches and Jewish people's lives. Um, Tomorrow I'll probably be at at that Jewish conference that's here in Brisbane at Griffiths. Um, This should be good. I'll be out handing out this gospel tract called I Love Chocolate. That'll be fun. Um, On the streets down there at Mary or Ann or those very Jewish names, uh, sharing the gospel with anybody and everybody down there. Look, what can I do? If I can help you tonight, if I can help you tomorrow, if, I, if you want, I'll give you my mobile. If you've got a Jewish mate you want me to meet up with here this week, that's what I'm here for, whether it's in the Gold Coast or here We're just talking to somebody on the phone. This this morning, after service, somebody came to me and gave me the details of a Jewish lady who's just gotten saved in Melbourne. And that's pretty exciting. So I'll be able to catch up with her in a fortnight. Well, if you've got friends, people with whom you're sharing the good news, and you need some help, that's what I'd love to help you accomplish. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters gathered here tonight. I pray that each one will ponder again the great love you have for all people. Some of us and some of them. Some people that we are used to, some people we're definitely not used to. I pray you'd give this people gathered here tonight great grace to extend your love and mercy to Ninevites and Romans and mariners and fair uh, all kinds of folks in their world and those who are just joining their world. Give us all grace, not only to proclaim, but to receive those whom you're drawing to yourself. Help us be your representatives, your ambassadors in a pretty dark world, a world that's getting darker yet. We choose to love you and we choose to love those people whom you send us in Yeshua's name. If you agree, you say amen. And I'll turn it back over to the musicians, I'm guessing.